Welcome to Calvary Chapel in the City and our study from Genesis through Malachi. And today we are in Leviticus chapter 17. Let's pray before we begin. Father, I just thank you uh, so much, Lord. The richness of your word. And I just thank you, Lord, for this book, the book of Leviticus. And I pray that today that it would, Lord, cut deep into our souls and expose any darkness there. That it would cut deep into our souls and build us up where we need to be built up. Exhort us where we need to be exhorted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Lord, we just thank you for every jot and tittle of your word. I pray, Father, that I would accurately represent your heart as I as I as I teach this word, as we as we get into and dissect, Lord, some of these verses and uh, reflect on their meaning and and why it is that you uh, put this word here for us, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, the book of Leviticus, the theme, holiness, and uh, we will begin right now in. Leviticus chapter 17 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp, or who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people." To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priest and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout all their generations. Also, verse 8, you shall say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. So what's all this about? Well, uh, we spent the first seven or eight chapters of Leviticus going over each of the offerings that the nation of Israel that God made available to the nation of Israel, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the trespass offering, the sin offering. And uh, from there we went on to, to, in Leviticus, uh, to the ensuing chapters, which talked about the priesthood and the inauguration of the priesthood. And uh, the whole system of sacrifice was meant to be, to, to rather to take place at the tabernacle before the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, above which was the very presence of God. And uh, 
the holy of holies separated from the holy place and the and the courtyard by the uh, by the veil and we know that um after jesus was crucified the veil was torn in two uh giving all jews all gentiles who come to christ any jew or gentile who comes to christ direct access uh, to God, to in, in effect, direct access to the place where prior to that only the high priest had access to and then only once a year. So we have access to the Holy of Holies by the blood of Christ. What these verses are in chapter 17 here of Leviticus, um, what they address is the man or woman who tries to make a sacrifice in a place uh, that has not been prescribed by God. There is only one place in the Old Testament prescribed by God and uh, to offer sacrifices, and that is um, before the Ark of the Covenant, uh, wherever that may reside, either in the tabernacle or the temple, or in between there, there were other places where it resided in Israel. But um, other than that, that was the place and the only place that the Israelites were um, allowed to to offer their sacrifices. And uh, uh, this makes it uh, really clear that you were not to do it in any other any other place. Verse 3 says, whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or and kills it outside the uh, outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of uh, of meeting, uh, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. Wow, that's severe considering the guilt of bloodshed. Uh, the, it's the death penalty if you are guilty of bloodshed. And so, um, why? Uh, it begs the question, why is this? Uh, why is this... Uh, such a big deal to God. Uh, in fact, before I answer the questions, uh, I will say this as we uh, move on in the Old Testament and we get into the book of Kings, where uh, after Solomon, the uh, kingdom was split in two, uh, Jeroboam uh, rebelled against uh, the king. Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son, and established a nation with ten tribes in the north, thereafter named Israel. The two tribes in the south, Benjamin and Judah, thereafter named Judah. Well, in Israel, as we go, as you go through the different kings of Israel in the north, there's, there's never a king who is commended. Every single one of them is called uh, evil. And um, the pattern as you read through the history of the kings of the north over and over again it, it, it mentions that the king, uh, this king in the north and that king in the north, uh, they were evil and they walked in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And over and over, you see that line about each of the kings. Actually, I counted them up. I counted 13 of them. There were more kings than that. I counted 13. Uh, it could be uh, plus or minus a couple kings there. But over and over again, we see that, uh, that this or that king was evil. Why? Because they walked in the way or they walked in the sin or they committed the sin of Jeroboam the son of Nebat. What sin was the sin of Jeroboam? He established, this was the sin of Jeroboam. When he uh, broke from Israel, he established two meetings of places of worship, one in Dan and one in Bethel um, in, in the north part of Israel, the 10 tribes, where, and then commanded that the Israelites in the north to go and uh, make sacrifices to them. 
and you know you read it over and over again and you're like why why is this such a serious thing and uh the kings in the south uh, a similar thing nine kings uh in the south it brings up that they uh, committed uh, fell short of, of God's standard for kings because they did not eliminate the places in Israel called the high places. And even the good kings, such as Asa and Jehoshaphat, who were highly commended by God, they were wonderful kings, godly kings, it would mention in the book of First Kings about them that they were good kings, they walked in the ways of David, except that they did not eliminate the high places um, where people went to sacrifice. Again, these were places of sacrifices um, outside of Jerusalem where the temple was. And so... Uh, in answer to the question, why such a big deal? Why do we see this emphasized here in Leviticus 17? Why do we see it mentioned over and over about the kings of the north, the, uh, the sin of Jeroboam, and the kings of the south and Judah, uh, including kings who were in the line of Messiah, that they, 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 they may have been good, uh, but they did not eliminate the high places. Well, I think there is at least three reasons, and they're all uh, very important, so I want to spend a little time on them. Uh, number one, if you remember the context here uh, in Leviticus, where the children of Israel have been led out of Egypt, uh, Israel itself uh, traced its origins back to Abraham, and at the time of Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, where he was um, called out of a, a pagan land, at that time, the knowledge of Jehovah, the knowledge of God, had almost been completely cut off. And uh, Abraham uh, was called out by God to, uh, in order for, among many other purposes, to for God to reintroduce himself to the world. And he would do that through Abraham and his progeny, in particular through his grandson Jacob, um, who was the father of uh, the 12 sons who were the head of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And through Israel, through Abraham and, the, and his progeny, God reintroducing himself uh, to the world. At the time of uh, Leviticus that it was written, God still has a lot of work to do for a couple thousand years before uh, Jesus comes into the world in his in this reintroduction process in terms of what is going to what he's going to teach man about his character who he is this type of thing in short man can't be trusted yet to offer sacrifice to God in just any other place at this time God didn't want them on the high places and the high places are a reference to uh, mountains and high you know high places in the nation of Israel where uh, people would feel communion with God they would do sacrifices up there whether it's those high places on mountaintops or whether it in the north it was in Bethel or Dan by the way high places were also established all over um, the northern Israel and the ten tribes as well during uh, and after Jeroboam uh, man just couldn't be trusted yet. He, Jesus had not come. Man did not have the Holy Spirit inside of them to uh, bring conviction. And so uh, God was still reintroducing himself to the world at this time. The veil had been, not been torn in two. And so um, the worship of God was more centralized for a reason. 
And that was because God was still educating them and getting them to know God. And so for that reason, he did not want them uh, just worshiping him and offering sacrifices in any place. I think there's a great modern day uh, uh, example of what happened when um, unsaved, unregenerate man left to his own devices um, offers sacrifices in any place uh, in uh, the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, I lived in Latin America for a number of years. If uh, you know, they have these little shrines um, in different places uh, all over Latin America, Catholic uh, Latin America, where um, the worship of, of Jesus has been joined to really um, uh, idolatrous practices, the, the worship of some local hero and, 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 and this type of thing. And that's an example of what happens when unregenerate men, or at a minimum, uh, 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 you know, men and women who have not been instructed in the Word of God or who have not committed their lives to the Word of God, what will happen if left to their own device? Pretty soon, the idolatry begins to take over. And so um, that's a modern day example of it. What happens when unregenerate man uh, begins to, is left to their own devices on, on how to worship God. All, all kinds of other things will um, uh, be introduced. However, after, after the veil was torn in two, and the Holy Spirit now is indwelling believers. We have direct um, access to God. Uh, man has been entrusted by God to establish churches all over the world and um, where they um, offer up, Romans 12.1, their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. And of course, um, they're, they're, all, all the worship in churches is tested against the word of God. And so, uh, but here in Leviticus, this God is uh, still reintroducing himself um, to the world prior to the introduction of the Messiah, which wouldn't happen now for a couple th uh, thousand years. And so um, he is restricting um, the... Uh, the, the 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 worship that part of worship that is that is um, offering to God uh, sacrifices to where the Ark of the Covenant is and the consequences of doing that are quite severe. Um, they're actually guilty of the guilt of bloodshed should you do that um, in another place. And so uh, a pretty significant thing. A couple other reasons why um, this is such a serious issue with the Lord and that is uh, the temporal, the tabernacle is a type. Um, it's a type of Jesus Christ. It's a foreshadowing of, of Jesus Christ. And uh, the uh, book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word, uh, rather, the, in the beginning was the uh, Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then verse 14, it says what? And the Word became flesh and tabernacled, um, that's the word in the Greek. In the King James Version, it says dwelt, but it, the actual Greek word tabernacled among us. The, the temple, the tabernacle was a type of Christ. And in order to offer sacrifices, you needed to do it in the presence of Jesus Christ. To not do it at the tabernacle, you were not in the presence of, of the third person, rather the second person of, uh, of the Trinity, uh, of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so, um, you know, you don't mess with a type in the Bible. Um, when Moses struck the rock uh, and uh, twice, the, the second time that he was called to bring water from a rock, the first time he struck it, represent Jesus' crucifixion, um, the rock representing uh, Christ, uh, Moses striking it, representing the crucifixion, and water poured out. The second time he was asked to um, go to the rock, and, 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 and he was asked just to speak to it, not to strike it. He, he struck it, 
and he was not asked to do that. And uh, the consequences were severe. He wasn't allowed to go into the land of promise. Why were the consequences so uh, severe? Well, he misrepresented God, and he also defiled a, a type. He's actually hitting Jesus and, you could say, in a way, crucifying him all over again. But there's no need for that. He was, Jesus was crucified once, the just for the unjust, uh, to bring us to God, uh, Peter says. And so um, it was a very serious thing, and there were serious consequences. Uh, last thing, uh, the reason why this is, seems to be such a treated so seriously here in the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 17, is the high priest is also a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And um, no offerings were to be done outside of, again, of Christ, our high priest. Uh, and so to just... Uh, you know, say, yeah, I don't want to go to Jerusalem this year. I'm just going to get a lamb from my farm and I'm going to slaughter it and offer it to God. It was a serious thing. You are actually uh, guilty of bloodshed uh, when you did it. So let's continue. Verse 10 says, And whatever man of the house of Israel or of uh, the strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off among, from among his people. Why? For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. I find it... Um, fascinating actually one more verse verse 12 says therefore i said to the children of israel no one among uh, you shall eat blood nor shall any stranger uh, who dwells among you eat blood now it's again seems like a, a very serious thing um what is uh going on here well i i believe the answer to that really um is uh, in verse 17, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for um, your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement um, for the soul. And so um, it was the blood of the animal sacrifices that made atonement for their soul. This was a time where human sacrifice was um, common. And uh, not only that, but uh, blood sacrifices amongst pagans were common. In Psalm 16, in fact, uh, it says this, David crying out to God, um, it says this, it's, he says in verse 3 of Psalm 16, their, speaking of wicked men, their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up the names of their gods on my lips. And so um, drinking blood was a pagan uh, practice, and it is being outlawed here. I do find it uh, interesting the... Uh, the statement there that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Uh, Martin Dehan, uh, a medical doctor, uh, wrote some revealing uh, things on this subject. I'm quoting Dr. Dehan here. He says this, In the human body, there are many different kinds of tissues. We define them as muscle, nerve, fat, gland, bone connective tissues, etc., all these tissues have one thing in common. They are fixed cells, microscopically small and having a f specific and limited function. Unlike these fixed tissues, the blood is fluid and mobile. That is, it is not limited to one part of the body, but it is free to move throughout the entire body and touch every other fixed cell as it supplies it with nourishment and carries off waste products and the ashes of cell activity, which we call metabolism. In the normal human body, 
continues Dr. Dahan. There are about five pints of this fluid, and this blood pumped by the heart circulates through the system about every 23 seconds so that every cell in the body is constantly supplied and cleansed and at the same time is in constant communication and touch and in touch with every other cell in that body. This blood is the most mysterious of all tissues, being composed of scores of elements and compounds and strange chemical bodies whose function is not yet fully understood, but all of which have to do with the mystery of life, for the life is in the blood. Once the blood fails to reach the cells and members of the body, they promptly die, and no man ever dies until his blood ceases to circulate. The life is in the blood. Now I ask you, how does Moses, a man who lived thousands of years ago, who in one sense primitive in terms of scientific learning, how does he know that the life is in the blood? Well, he doesn't. But of course, God knows. (laughs) And we see this remarkable statement uh, here, which is uh, scientifically 100% dead on uh, right here in the word of God that the life is in the blood. So a question does come up from time to time. Our, our church has a significant Hispanic community in it. And uh, we travel to Latin American countries where blood sausages, very popular in Latin American and Hispanic countries, um, are uh, eaten. Uh, is it lawful, is it okay to eat a blood sausage? Uh, I do know uh, Christians, including I have a good pastor friend, who will not eat blood sausages. Uh, because of this verse, also in Acts chapter 15, there's uh, something about it in the New Testament. Uh, in the New Testament when there was a controversy between uh, Jews and Gentiles um, it, uh, they suggested to the churches that, that the churches uh, not uh, drink blood or eat meat from strangled animals meaning uh, meat that had not been drained of its blood and so I do have a pastor friend who uh, does not drink uh, blood uh, eat rather eat blood sausages for that reason. Um, I, you know, I, I believe uh, that the answer to that question is no. There is nothing wrong with eating a blood sausage. You know, once you let once you let one law in, uh, it becomes a slippery slope, and all of a sudden, you know, many many other laws. Uh, you know, will be joined to that one law. That's always been my experience anytime you let one law in. And so, uh, other than laws from the Old Testament, which are clearly and distinctly moral in nature, which this one does not appear to be, um, I, I, I think you need to be very careful. Christ fulfilled all the law. If you're going to obey this law, you're going to have to obey all of those ceremonial laws. And so you need to be very careful there. In Acts chapter 15, it was clearly uh, mentioned there because at the time for a Jew to pull out a Uh, and start munching on a blood sausage in front of a recently converted Jew would have made unity in the church impossible. And so um, uh, uh, here uh, in this uh, context in Leviticus chapter 17, I do believe, again, it was God reintroducing Israel to the world. A lot of these laws Um, created or ceremonial and otherwise useful for reintroducing them into the world and keeping, rather reintroducing them to God and keeping them from from pagan practices. Chapter, uh, verse 13 of this chapter, whatever man of the children of Israel or the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I say to the children of Israel, you shall 
not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Verse 15, And every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by beasts, whether it he is a native or your own country, or of your own country or stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. So this is referring to if um, if there's a beast somehow in the uh, wilderness where uh, the uh, it has died naturally and it's not slaughtered in the customary way. Uh, they were allowed to eat it, but you were unclean until evening. Couldn't go into the temple. Verse 16, but if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. And then, again, it's a, a sanitary law. It's a, um, a law of hygiene there that uh, seems to have an enormous amount of wisdom. Who knows what's happening with these beasts who are... Um, uh, died naturally and found in, in, in this type of thing. And so, again, a way of preserving them as a people, also just from a purely physical standpoint. Chapter 18 is a chapter on sexual purity. Begins like this. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So the chapter is about sexual purity. Quite a preamble there. God's serious about this as well. What he's saying is, do not educate yourself. Rather, do not embrace teachings on sexual practices that you receive from the world. doesn't mean that um, if your kid happens to be in public school, you, you have to pull them out of the class. You may want to do that. That's uh, in the purview of what a parent must decide. However, um, you should be educating your children if that happens at the very same time because what the world is telling them to embrace and what the Word of God is telling them to embrace are two different things. Um, I, all our kids have been uh, in the public education system here in Boston, so over the years we've had to get very involved uh, in their education in this area, uh, their, their sexual education. I was appalled uh, one day when one of my daughters brought home this one uh, booklet. It was entitled Health Exchange, and they have college students come in who volunteer uh, to teach uh, from this booklet, and the booklet is um, a sexual education instruction. And um, I just took great offense at this particular booklet, be, booklet because um, the theme throughout it is sexually do whatever you want to do, but however, we want to disclose to you all the risks associated with it. And the risks, all the risks that they disclosed that were associated with sex had to do with either disease or pregnancy. So as long as you understand 
that disease or pregnancy may result from having sex, go for it. It was the, this is not an exaggeration. This is the message of this book. Um, and and uh, what was particularly um, particularly disturbing about it is uh, throughout this uh, sexual um, education, uh, of this book uh, just repeatedly over and over again is uh, the the uh, the exhortation to the children who are being educated that look um, if you get uh, pregnant um, here are all your resources and we assure you your parents will not be informed repeatedly at least a half a dozen times or more throughout this booklet your parents will not be informed your parents will not be informed where parents will not be informed never was there any suggestion that maybe the people who care about them the most that maybe they should go to them for instruction about what had happened during their sexual experiment, i.e., you know, are they pregnant? Do they have a, a disease? Uh, this type of thing. There was never even the slightest suggestion that they should go to their parents. Uh, moreover, there was never even the slightest suggestion that maybe before having sex, they should consider the Moors' traditions and beliefs and opinions of their parents. Uh, quite the opposite, um, you know, was communicated uh, during, uh, you know, throughout this book, and um, never during uh, this entire presentation. This booklet booklet was probably about oh, about thirty pages. Um, was there any suggestion um, other than it's perfectly okay to have sex? outside of marriage, in marriage, same sex, opposite sex, whatever. It, it was an amoral thing, sex was. It wasn't immoral. It wasn't, a, a, you know, it wasn't, they didn't say this is good, this is bad. It's, it's, it's amoral. And so, uh, anyway, with all that having been said, I am going to be, this is, uh, setting up a meeting with the superintendent of my teenage daughter's school to discuss this subject. <laughs> um, but any event, um, God is telling them, do not get, do not embrace what the world wants to instruct you in the area of sexual. Uh, practices. Verse 3 again, according to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings uh, of the uh, land of Canaan where I'm bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. And so the this 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 booklet that I had received from from the school uh, was clearly it was out of Egypt it was out of Canaan uh, Egypt in the Bible a type of the world Canaan in the Bible it's a type of the world and um, Egypt the land that they had been delivered from um, all manner of sexual immorality. Um, happening in Egypt. Anything goes, as we will soon read about in this chapter, chapter 18. Same thing in, in the land of Canaan. Uh, everything um, accepted in the land of Canaan, Canaan in the area of, of sexual immorality. And uh, this, is, this is one area uh, uh, that um, you know, it's 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 a it's a dangerous area to go to the right or to the left in. I suppose all areas in the Bible are, but but the thing about sexual uh, uh, morality is that uh, sex between a man and a woman is a spiritual thing. It's not just a physical act; it's a spiritual act where a man and a woman are becoming spiritually one, and. Uh, and what happens um, if a man 
goes from one partner to another partner to another partner to another partner or a woman goes from one partner to another partner to another partner each time they are leaving a part of their soul with that other person their st their soul is being stripped away there's a a spiritual experience happening and then it's being broken and then uh, another spiritual experience is happening and another spiritual uh, spirit experience is happening all of which were intended by god to happen within a marriage between a husband and a wife a male and a female so let's uh what were the practices of egypt um, well verse 7 uh, get ready for this. Buckle your seatbelts. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. Meaning you shouldn't have sex with your father. You shouldn't have sex with your mother. So this is the type of practice that would happen in Egypt and Canaan. Incestuous practices were practice. It says, um, she is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife she, you shall not uncover it is your father's nakedness if you remember in first corinthians chapter 5 this is what was going on in the church in corinth uh, um, and so uh, this being clear clearly and distinctly a moral issue other than the issue of eating a blood as distinct from a, a, a the issue of eating a blood sausage this is clearly a and distinctly a moral issue uh, in first corinthians chapter 5 um, we read there that's clearly the type of sexual uh, practice forbidden by anyone who is walking with the lord verse 9 the nakedness of your sister the daughter of your uh, father or the daughter of your mother whether born at home or elsewhere their nakedness you shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter their nakedness you shall not uncover for theirs is your own nakedness meaning you're they're in your own family where it says theirs is your own nakedness that's that's speaking there your family you, you don't do this god's people uh, do not uh, do this Verse 12, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, meaning your, uh, your aunt. She is near of kin to your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your, father's, of your mother's sister, for she is near of kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. Uh, speaking there of an aunt or an uncle, um, who is uh, not related by blood. Verse 15, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. Uh, it is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. And so, you know, that's the verse 17 is really talking about an uh, in, in orgy type of of thing where multiple family members um, are are brought in to be sex partners or something. Uh, very descript, yes. But this is what happens in Egypt. This is what happens in Canaan, and this is what happens anywhere where uh, the the area of sexual morality uh, the standard is basically anything right in your own eyes, anything that feels good, um, do it. And so um, here you do see here uh, that uh, incest um, is outlawed. Uh, now, um, it is true that uh, um, earlier in the Bible, uh, you see Abraham marrying his sister. And uh, prior to that, uh, 
there appears uh, almost certainly to have been uh, instances of sexual relationships or marriages between uh, close relatives, uh, even in the immediate family. And so the general thinking of, on this uh, is that um, early on, uh, the gene pool is uh, clean enough uh, but as sin takes its toll on the gene pool, uh, gene pool, disease being introduced and growing and spread, our genes become less and less healthy. And so, therefore, the chances, um, if, you are, if a brother are, is to marry a sister, his, uh, his gene pool, his DNA ma- makeup is going to be uh, much more similar with... Uh, with him and his sister as opposed to him and someone who's unrelated in any way and therefore um, there is a greater likelihood between brother and sister um, of them carrying the same uh, disease in their DNA and thus a much greater likelihood that their child um, would become diseased. Um, it, it, you know, it could also be that the, um, as uh, the, the sort of the, the centuries, the millennium went on that um, forbidding incest was uh, a way of um, was a way of just expanding the you could say the, the, the diversity of the population um, um, and the, the, the intermingling there and uh, sort of in accordance with be fruitful and, and, and multiply. And so um, incest here uh, is forbidden. Uh, verse 18, uh, it says, nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. And uh, so uh, this particular um, verse, as well as uh, verse 16, which says, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. Uh, later on, we'll see that, that this only applies while your wife is alive or while your brother is Alive, you will see later on uh, in in the law of Moses that um, if a, a a brother dies and he's married, that um, a, a younger brother actually uh, was uh, it was perfectly acceptable for him to to marry his brother's wife, his deceased brother's wife, in order to continue his name. Uh, in Israel, in the nation of Israel, and can, can uh, you know continue the the family name. Uh, and then it goes on here. It says in verse uh, nineteen, also you shall not approach a woman to in- uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. That means during her period. Again. I will get questions, does this still apply? And I believe I've already said this in the previous message. Uh, No. Uh, Again, you add this one law. There's a lot of other laws waiting that will line up immediately if you add one, let one in that is not distinctly and clearly moral in nature. However, number one, giving uh, your your wife a break. Number two, um, just... Uh, practicing self-control, um, I think, is is always um, a good idea. I mean, I, I am uh, I am mindful of First Corinthians chapter seven, uh, which says in verse three, "Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, and." Likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Um, You know, we shouldn't, uh, a husband should not be rejecting, uh, as a general rule, the advances of his wife. And a wife should, as a general rule, should not be rejecting the sexual advances of her husband. Um, that having been said, um, I, you know, as in any other 
um, appetite. Uh, I do not think it's healthy that every single time, uh, guys, that you want to have sex, that you expect to have sex. That is um, a, a lack of self-control, and it's not loving. Uh, and I'm not going to get into numbers now with you. You know, well, what are you talking about, Steve? Every day, every other day, every third day. I'm not going to get into that, but I will just say that here you have. Uh, just we can glean some wisdom here uh, uh, here in verse 19 of uh, Leviticus 18 of uh, of look you know during her period you know let her be guys uh, that's my suggestion but look not meaning to put anyone under condemnation or uh, to, to start uh, legalism here but uh, that's just some uh, prudent wisdom next verse uh, it says, verse 20, Moreover, you shall not lie carnally uh, with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. And we see that one, of course, as well. Verse 10 of chapter 20 of Exodus. Ten com- uh, uh, the ten, Rather, uh, chapter 20, uh, verse 10 of Leviticus um, as well has, has a similar prescription, but also in Leviticus, uh, Le, in Exodus twenty, the the, the Ten Commandments: uh, you shall not commit, uh, thou shall not commit adultery. I tell you, you know, sexual immorality destroys families. It destroys marriages and it destroys families. And here you have God protecting His people. Of course. Um, you know, marriage is also a type, and so the uh, the type of the rep, you know the picture of a husband and wife is uh, representative of the relationship between husband and wife is representative of the relationship between Christ and the church or a Christ and an individual. We see that in Ephesians chapter five. And man, you better not. You, we've already seen you better not mess with a type. <laughs> and so having, uh, being unfaithful to a spouse, a very, very serious offense uh, in the eyes of God because it misrepresents this, this beautiful relationship of God's faithfulness, Jesus Christ's faithfulness to the church, Jesus Christ's fa- faithfulness to you as, as an individual believer. Verse 21 says, And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Molech is the god of the Ammonites. The Ammonites, descendants of Lot. If you remember, Lot, after he escaped, uh, he was actually... he. he it's not really accurate to say Lot escaped. Some angels rescued Lot from, from Sodom. He got drunk, had sex with his daughters, and uh, one of the uh, some of the one people group who were descended from that uh, immoral, uh, but unlawful behavior were the Ammonites, and so. Um, the Ammonites god, their main god, was Molech. He was, and you may ask, why in the middle of uh, these uh, these prohibitions and these teachings on sexual practices, do you see a verse about a law against? child sacrifice. Well, Molech was also a god of fertility. If you offered, the thinking was if you offered a child, uh, so um, you would have more children. And so it it actually had a connection to sexual practices. Verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. So here you have the prohibition against sexual immorality, uh, in particular, uh, man with man, and the same could be said with woman, um, between woman and woman. Uh, Romans chapter 1 has the same uh, prohibition. It says, 
in verse 26 of Romans chapter 1. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Uh, and so here you have the, the, the sin of, uh, of homosexuality. Interesting there, it says, um, you shall not lie with a male as a male. It is an abomination. It does get me a little concerned when people say the sin of homosexuality is no different than any other sin. It's not quite uh, true. Uh, because uh, it cannot be said that uh, of all sins that they're called an abomination. Abomination is an exceedingly great sin. What can be said, however, is that um, you, me, we, or anybody uh, who does not practice sexuality, homosexuality is now not one iota better than them. Moreover, Every sin in the Bible, whatever sin it is, you, me, we, we're all capable of it. So to uh, sit in judgment or have a critical spirit towards uh, a person who is a homosexual uh, really is wrong. It is It violates the law of love. Uh, nevertheless, um, homosexuality is listed in... Um, as a sin, not only in the Old Testament, but in, in the New Testament. And I, I, I do think it's important that we, uh, and particularly in the times that we're in, that we don't, don't leave that out. We don't bury that truth. You do. It always get. It does get me nervous when I hear those out there say things like, "Well, why are we so fixated on the sin of homosexuality?" And I get it. Um, there are those who want to be fixated. They want to single out homosexuals uh, in, a, in an inappropriate uh, way. I don't think homosexuals should be singled out any more more than really anybody else. Um, that having been said, um, if there is a sin that is growing increasingly accepted, well, we should increasingly not forget to talk about it. I was uh, most disturbed uh, to read the public statement of Lou Giglio. Lou Giglio, I don't usually mention names. I'm sorry, Lou, I gotta have to mention your name here. Uh, Lou Giglio is the founder of the Passion Movement and the pastor of Atlanta Megachurch Passion City Church. Um, he was tapped to give uh, the prayer at uh, President Obama's sec second um, inauguration, but a, uh, a a message of him his that had been given 15 to 20 years prior surfaced in which he. Uh, quite frankly, very sensitively and appropriately and lovingly challenged um, homosexuals to come to repentance. It surfaced. There was all kinds of pressure. Uh, Lou Giglio, uh, re, you know, basically backed um, or, or, or resigned or withdrew voluntarily. Um, but then what was disturbing was his public statement. Uh, he wrote a letter to the White House, and it said this. This is Lou Giglio. He said, due to a message of mine that has surfaced from 15 to 20 years ago, it is likely my participation and the prayer I will, will offer, offer will be dwarfed by those seeking to make their agenda the focal point of the uh, inauguration. Good so far. Unfortunately, he continued. Clearly... Lou Giglio says, speaking on this issue has not been in the range of my priorities in the past 15 years. Instead, my aim has been to call people to ultimate significance as we make much of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, I, I find that quite disturbing. Uh, in fact, in a time where it's becoming more and more acceptable uh, the sin of homosexuality is, 
uh, that's the last time uh, that we should be backing off with talking, yes, lovingly um, about it. And you can't make much of Jesus Christ uh, and ignore uh, this type of thing. You can't do that. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I, 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 I think it's just so regrettable. First Timothy six twelve says we are instructed to fight the good fight. And one day, you know, we're going to get to heaven, or Jesus will return. We're not going to have to fight the good fight anymore. <laughs> but until then, uh, to uh, to um, to make us to to, to refuse to address this issue publicly is tantamount to not fighting the good fight, to withdrawing from it. Of course, uh, there in First Timothy, it's not referring to a, a physical fight. Paul says in Second Corinthians, he said, the weapons of our warfare are not physical, but they are mighty in God to bring down strongholds. Speaking of uh, the, the weapons of our warfare are love, truth, their prayer, their righteousness, faith, joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Um, and so uh, clearly in the word of God, uh, you, you, uh, homosexuality is listed as a sin. It's listed as an abomination, I believe, because it goes to the design and uh, the design of that God gave to humans in Genesis chapter 2 prior to the fall. Now, uh, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, look, I'm with anyone else, like, you know, what do I do about this, you know, uh, what do I do about these, uh, these passions that I have within me? They're, 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 I can't help who I am. Uh, this is what I uh, am told, and and from time to time I speak to people on this, and I will tell you, yes, I have uh, those passions in me. In fact, one of those passions is to go and sleep with a woman who's not my wife. It's a natural passion. Do I just go out and follow my natural passion? And usually when I say something like that, well, number one, they're shocked that a pastor would ever say that, but number two... Um, you know that really gets them to ponder. Uh, we're n I'm not. I'm not saying that it is not. In uh, speaking of fighting the good fight, that it's not a fight uh, to uh, deny our lusts. It the Bible says that the lusts war against our soul. But Jesus did say in Matthew sixteen twenty four, He said this: If any man will come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. Verse 23 of Leviticus 18 says, nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. So bestiality, I remember being as a brand new Christian, um, as a brand new Christian, I went to one of these things. It was in the deep South at the time and the revivalist was in town and he gave a, message every night and he spent a good time on this very thing in Leviticus 18 I thought what is this guy out of his mind uh, speaking about bestiality but you know something uh, it happens and uh, it happens to be becoming more prevalent and there is a time uh, to address it uh, even in a church setting it's here in the word of God nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it it is a perversion do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for all, by all these the nations are defiled. So how do I know that uh, in Egypt that fathers were having sex with their daughters, that mothers were having sex with their sons? Well, it's this verse right here. It says, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. I think it's important to note there in verse 24 that an entire nation becomes defiled when these kind of sexual practices become prevalent. Verse 25, for the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its, iniqu uh, of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your 
own nation or in any stranger who dwells among you, little leaven goes through the dough. We know that, right? And so even a stranger who is um, among you, uh, you, you, you you don't want to let them do it either. And so that's an exhortation to the purity of the nation here. Verse 28, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Verse 29, for whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Again, similar to First uh, uh, Corinthians, where we are told to that if there's someone among us who is sexual immoral and calls themselves a Christian, we are to um, cease having fellowship with them. Of course, Paul says, not talking about someone in the world who commits sexual immorality. Otherwise, you'd have to remove yourself from the world. I'm talking about someone who names themselves a brother. You are to no longer have fellowship with them. Uh, same idea here uh, Here in, in, in verse 29, although uh, this says in verse 29 that uh, any persons, including strangers, um, are to be cut off. We're in a, a different covenant now. Um, we have a different ministry. We have the Holy Spirit in us here. Again, God's still reintroducing the world to himself. So uh, we have a different standard here for um, those who are, quote-unquote, strangers from the outside, people of the world who, are, who happen to be um, uh, um, um, among us. Verse 30, Therefore you shall keep my ordinance, so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which, which were committed before you, and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God your God. So, message here, we're not to be like the Egyptians. We're not to be like the Canaanites. We are God's people. He has separated us for salvation to be a reflection of his son, Jesus Christ.